Hello, Jenny Roper, editor of Work Magazine here, popping up very quickly before this episode of What If, just to let you know that if you're enjoying this podcast, chances are you'll love Sister Title Management Today's podcast too. The Leadership Lessons podcast delves into the world of leadership and management, bringing insights, trends and advice to the ears of busy senior leaders. Previous interviewees include author Amy Gallo, British Heart Foundation CEO Charmaine Griffiths and kidnap negotiator Scott Walker. Get it wherever you usually get your podcasts. Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to Series 4 of What If? a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, and in this episode, I'm channelling my inner Michael Gove to ask, have the people of this country really had enough of experts? That quote, you may remember, became something of a meme during the run-up to 2016's Brexit referendum. Gove, then Justice Secretary, and one of the most strident supporters of Brexit, uttered the now immortal phrase when asked to name any economists who would support an exit from the EU. Instead of listening to experts, he said, the UK public should trust themselves. While Gove was at the time accused of importing the populist post-truth tactics of Donald Trump, it's clear he touched a nerve. To some extent, the result of the Brexit referendum showed many of the UK public felt disillusioned and had simply had enough of listening to pronouncements from politicians, mainstream media and other institutions. And perhaps they were right to be. Take former Bank of England chief economist Andy Haldane, admitting that economists' failure to predict the 2008 financial crash was a Michael Fish moment for the profession, referencing a famously inaccurate weather report. If those experts many have long unquestionably listened to can get it so wrong, how do we know who to trust and whose expertise is worth taking notice of? After all, advances in technology mean the most complex and varied information is now at the fingertips of anyone with a device and a Wi-Fi connection. Thanks to the internet, information has been democratised and the rise of generative AI is reshaping many traditionally expert professions. Want to sell your house? You can now manage the whole process end-to-end yourself if you so wish. Got a medical complaint? It's quite likely you'll have Googled what it could be and potential treatments before even visiting the GP. But with a huge amount of misinformation floating around the internet, perhaps the sheer volume of information available and the growing complexity of the world we are living in means we need experts more than ever. While, during the pandemic, many welcomed and trusted expert briefings from scientists, conspiracy theories about the coronavirus nonetheless proliferated online. Despite that, a recent study by the University of Cambridge found that people still defer to experts and scientific evidence to determine whether something is misinformation, and are far more likely to believe those sources than their friends or the media. It's a heartening finding if you believe in the value of scientific credibility – But nonetheless, it seems the notion of what it means to be an expert and how people think of experts is shifting, being reshaped by technology, societal norms and polarising viewpoints. So, what does that mean for work and for skills and for the functioning of society more widely? To discuss this fascinating topic, I called on two people who really know their stuff. One might even call them experts. Rob McCargo, Technology Impact Leader at PwC and Amanda Arrowsmith, People and Transformation Director at the CIPD. 
I started by asking them both how they would define the concepts of expert and expertise. Rob first. I would define expertise as the ability to bring credible, demonstrable value to something. But I do think the concept has evolved in the last few years, possibly by the impact of technology in terms of how different experts are brought together to solve things in a more complex way than before, rather than more of an individual approach. So I think expert and expertise are quite different. So I think an expert is someone who has deep knowledge, either through experience or learning or study of a particular subject. That might be through years and years of study or continuous learning, but actually they are an expert in their field. Whereas expertise is being able to apply that knowledge in quite a practical way to solve problems, to make things work and actually take that knowledge and that evidence and use it in a practical way. As Rob says, the evolution of technology has already had a profound impact on expertise in terms of connecting people and ideas. But it's the democratising of information that has really changed the rules of the game. Let's hear from Amanda, then Rob. The internet and AI has completely democratised the access to expertise and experts, and anyone can get the knowledge and the deep understanding now. Where the difference, I think, will be is the application and contextualising that knowledge into particular situations. But for individuals, being able to have that broader breadth of information so readily available means that perhaps our reliance on expertise will become more specialised, more nuanced. We'll be more comfortable in our generalist roles tipping into those expertise areas. The impact of technology in the domain of expertise has really uh, changed things quite remarkably over the last uh, generation. And I think that's only just accelerating with the advent of more advanced technologies such as generative artificial intelligence. Information is there at a fingertip much more than ever before in an intuitive and digestible and accessible way. And now this ready availability of information is having an impact on professions previously thought of as the home of untouchable expertise. But as both Amanda and Rob go on to discuss, this access comes with an array of risks as well as opportunities. The situation now is is really interesting in terms of the impact on professions. Healthcare being a great example, it's very easy now to lay your hands on the most up-to-date, cutting-edge healthcare information to do self-diagnosis, which really empowers the patient. But this is fraught with a whole array of risks in terms of the, uh, the quality of the information there and how trustworthy that information is and the source it comes from. So I don't think it's necessarily about opening up every piece of expertise and, and the information to everybody and that solves for all their needs. I think it poses more questions that need to be addressed by experts more than ever before. And here's Amanda. I think there is the opportunity in some areas to just get that knowledge quickly and get that understanding more quickly, which is going to be really helpful in business. And if business is moving fast or you've got changes coming and you need rapid responses, the benefits of AI and the benefits of those kind of technology are going to help organisations and individuals, particularly individuals that perhaps are neo-generalists and working in that more, more broad area. It'll help them to get into topics and expertise knowledge more quickly. There are dangers, there are risks. I am concerned about some of the unconscious bias. I am concerned about the information that goes in and how that comes out. And so I think that along with any tool, it's a tool that we should use responsibly, carefully and with an element of inquiry and curiosity that means we don't just take everything as gospel. 
Garbage in, garbage out is a computing maxim for explaining that flawed input can only produce a nonsense result. And this is where much of the concern behind blindly following the advice or outcomes suggested by AI comes from. Technology whisperer Rob explains more. I think the questions now that come from the provision of expertise via technology are down to the quality of the information proposed by the the models, by the the way it's trained, by the data sets used to train the models, by the potential bias that's evident in these data sets, who's trained them, where it's come from. There's so many questions now posed by the quality and the trustworthiness of the information. When you start thinking about this in real terms, there's clearly a degree of consequence on the particular technology application. If it's simply proposing a new movie on Netflix, you're concerns might not be particularly high as to how it's worked out what your preferences are. If it's diagnosing particular treatments, if it's diagnosing particular approach to clinical ailments, all the way through to the end of the spectrum in terms of warfare, clearly you need to understand the way that these technologies are governed, scrutinized, regulated and trained to have that degree of trust to take forward the recommendation the system is making. There's been some eye-opening uh, sort of situations occurring in the last few months, in particular with generative AI. And what you find is it's remarkably confident in the information it delivers. It's incredibly sure of the answer it's providing. This poses a real problem, doesn't it? Because I think if you are not a domain expert in the field you're asking the system to produce uh, content for you in, on first glances, it's very well referenced, it's well sourced, it's well put together, and it's 100% sure in its answer. And this is the big risk now, isn't it? So without that expert ability to scrutinize and challenge and understand how it's reached this uh, consensus. This is where the real issue comes around uh, trustworthiness and things like misinformation and disinformation as well start to scale quite exponentially. So what does this all mean for skills and for approaches to learning and development in the workplace? Does it become less about knowing the answers and more about having the nous to question? Let's hear from Amanda, then Rob. I think more and more adaptability and agility in the way in we work is going to be really important. I think continuous learning, critical thinking, that kind of emotion intelligence will remain paramount. Workers are going to have to react to changes even more quickly. If you think about the changes that we've seen in the last what, 40 years around the internet and around email and around the mobile phones and that 24-7, I think this is the next big shift. If organisations truly embrace that, in order for it to work in organisations, we need to give people skills to feel confident in it. You've got the very technical skills and, you know, being able to write prompts, for example, and those sorts of things. But actually that adaptability, agility, curiosity, critical thinking, those are going to be the key skills for people to be successful going forward. You might argue that the actual technology skills themselves are not the ones that we should be optimizing for around programming, engineering, coding, and data science, and the other skills that make up a technology team are still in very high demand. But increasingly, the technology is growing to the point where it's uh, democratized, it's much more accessible, it's much more user-friendly to non-technical people. So what it starts to bring through, I think, is much more of a need for people to have that uh, ability to communicate, to be creative, curious, ability to problem solve, and collaborate. 
that is uh, something that I think is the way of putting some trust into the system, the ability to understand how it's reached the sort of the outcome it's produced. If you've got this technology that is starting to provide advice on issues of great consequence, you really need to understand how the system has been trained up. So you do need to work hand in glove with your technology team. But coming in as a non-technologist, I think your ability to ask the hard questions, to understand how these guardrails are put in place, how the risk is mitigated, and where the data comes from, all of these are really important questions. Without necessarily having to retrain as a PhD data scientist, you can be armed with the right way of challenging and scrutinizing the technology to give yourself and your leadership team the trust that the system is going to produce positive outcomes for your organisation rather than open you out to huge amounts of risk. If we need different skills in the workplace, it follows through that the pipeline, the education system, would need to be reformulated as well. I asked Amanda whether today's education system is building the skills we need for tomorrow's world of work, and if not, how it would need to change. I'm not sure at the moment that we're building those skills in education. So I don't know if we're building a workforce that is ready for that in the workplace. And I think there needs to be more work done at that kind of GCSE, A-level and university level around preparing people for this type of future work rather than that learn it by route, learn it by the book, that critical thinking and that inquiry stuff. It's the how to think, not what to think. We need to get people looking at that younger so that they are more naturally inclined to work in that way and think in that way. But it's also going to require a bit of a generational shift in the workforce because we're going to have all these people come through to the workforce who perhaps are already thinking this way, working across five generations with people who do what they're told. And they do what they're told because we respect our elders because it's the way we've always done. And so actually allowing someone perhaps quite junior or quite new to work to come in and ask, well, why are we doing it that way? And why is this? And why should we do that? It's going to require a bit of a shift in that power balance and have people feel more comfortable being questioned. Then there's the impact on career paths. Technology could remove the need for whole rungs of a traditional career ladder. Think trainee lawyers no longer having to spend hours scouring reams of legal documents, for example. Does that make the expertise that can come with experience redundant? Here's Amanda again. I think there's a real potential for accelerated pathways, for sure. I think the how to behave in that work setting, how to critically think in a work setting rather than an education setting still needs to be learned. And we learn that through doing. But more and more, we're seeing people who are coming in with that expertise early in their careers and able to really make a difference. The important thing is that for people like me who are at the other end of their career, perhaps, are just being open to those ideas and actually excited by it and not going, well, we know best because we've been doing this for 30 years. We say there's nothing new, but actually what we're seeing with technology and particularly with generative AI, there is stuff new. There's still stuff for us to learn. So this is exciting. And though curious people will be successful, career paths are going to change. But I think that there will still be an element of time served. I am not the same person at 50 that I was at 30. And part of that is just being a bit older, having had a bit more experience being a bit more comfortable with the conversations I have with people, being a bit more cognizant of the how I speak to people, how I listen, what's important. That's changed as I've got older. And I think that maturing will still happen. But we may see that acceleration at early careers. So Amanda for one, 
feels that while technology could accelerate career paths, it's still no replacement for time served and experience. Will that remain the case as technology becomes more advanced and sophisticated, able to model and predict future scenarios far faster than humans ever could? Let's go back to Rob. I still feel that uh, the technology is only as good as the people that have trained it and run it and govern it and scrutinize it. And this brings back this issue around expertise, the ability to make significant decisions on the back of the technology has to be done in a a sort of human-led technology-powered way. That's the sort of phrase we often talk about here at PwC is how do you bring the best human ingenuity together with the very best technology into more of an augmented approach Many organizations are thinking about this human and machine working in harmony in an optimized way rather than technology taking over or human seeding control of the technology. I think it's that optimal balance of human and machine uh, that produces the opportunity to uh, really advance the technology to solve some of the hardest problems facing society. So it's an exciting area, but it's not one that I think we're just taking the brakes off and unleashing the full force of this and hoping it just works out well, because there's a much more higher probability that if it's left unchecked uh, without stewardship and governance around it, then it leads to the poor outcomes that um, we've seen early signs of in technology in recent years. What then are those poor outcomes? And what is the impact they can have? We've already seen a number of cases where technology applied in not necessarily a a smart way has led to uh, misinformation scaling on social media. We've seen in particular in the sort of human resources field, the impact of these technologies in recruiting systems, where it's led to the amplification of bias and discrimination of vulnerable candidates from the organization. You're moving into the use of really sensitive data around things like biometric data. So I don't think these are technologies you walk in with your eyes closed. If anything, it requires even more expertise than we've ever had before to hold these technologies to account, to really ameliorate the potential risks of these technologies we've started to see causing potential harm already. And if you can imagine the speed we're moving at in the space of the last six months alone, I've seen things coming through with AI that have been forecasted to be many, many years out. It's been compressed down to a matter of months. So if you can only see that pace of change happening faster and faster than it's ever been before, the need for increased expertise is greater than ever before. The need for expertise may be greater than ever before, but is the public's appetite for that expertise as large? Or have we really had enough of the specialists and the eggheads? Here's Amanda. I know post-truth has become popular as a term since Trump, but it's been around before that. And it's this view that actually we don't necessarily trust the facts anymore. We want to lead by emotion and we want to think what we're doing by emotion. So there was some research in 2015 by Friedrich Hendricks at the University of Munster in Germany. He talks about something called epistemic trustworthiness, which is our decision to place trust in and listen to an expert when we need to solve a problem that is beyond our understanding. But what they also found is that actually people didn't necessarily trust experts because they were sometimes seen as mad geniuses or they had no moral compass and they needed their ego stroked. And so actually, it's not just the expertise that you need. You also need to be honest good-hearted, have good communication skills, and they need to be trustworthy. So it goes beyond that kind of 
just being the expert and knowing everything. You have to have that language that people could use so you can actually have the conversations and work with people and, and actually get into that. It's quite interesting, the terminology around that and the way that it's looked at. But I think that's where it comes from, that emotion-led thinking rather than evidence-based sometimes. And the more evidence-based we can be, the more we can take the emotion out. So there's a need for experts and those in positions of authority to rethink how they communicate their ideas. But however they do that, with people spending more time online than ever before, misinformation can spread like wildfire and opinions, often driven by strong emotions, can become increasingly polarised. How, I asked Amanda, should organisations and leaders respond? There's a societal thing around this. If you look at what's happened with the media and it feels very polarising and if you think about left or right or you think about the different debates that are going on, everything seems to be quite polarised in in that conversation. And, And that then comes into the workplace and you can see that in the workplace. But at the same time, we've got a whole workforce coming through that don't just do things because they were told to, that don't just respect their elders necessarily because they've got more experience than them and, and they are actually interested in the whys. So I think for organisations to really embrace how you can work with people, it comes back to the evidence. What can we show you that shows that this is true and how it's true? But then also, why are we doing it this way? So why are we having these conversations? Why are we trying to do this in the organisation? Why are we sharing this? And actually making sure that we can't just expect people to trust us because I told you so. It has to be backed up with evidence, reason, story. It's that storytelling part that suggests there will always, despite advances in technology, be a place for human skills. So... How does Rob rate the future of human experts and human expertise? So I am an optimist about this. I describe myself as a rational and pragmatic optimist. You know, I'm optimistic if we get this right, if we put the guardrails in place, if we can move the education system on at the pace to ensure that people are prepared for the future, if we can ensure that the potential downside risks of the speed of this technology adoption are mitigated and ameliorated sufficiently, then there's huge opportunities available to us across all sectors. I'm thinking healthcare, thinking about the opportunities to start to try to challenge the downside risk of the climate crisis we're facing at the moment. You look about every sector now, it's within our gift to improve the lot for our people, planet and society at large. This is where the concept of expertise comes into this, because on the one hand, there's a viewpoint that says that if knowledge is freely, liberally available, that's great. And that removes the need for and therefore the potential expense of experts in the equation. But I take a different view. I personally think that the evidence is compelling now that all of those features I've set out there they actually amplify and prioritize the need for experts to have a key part of being that human in the loop, to scrutinize, to challenge, to put the safeguards in place, to look for anomalies in the data, and to give a sort of a human-led lens upon the automated outputs of these systems. So with Rob and Amanda aligned on the need for human expertise, whatever happens, I asked them to weigh up our central question this episode. What if we did away with experts? What damage would that potentially do? Let's hear from Amanda first. If we had no experts, we'd be working at quite a surface level in a lot of areas. We wouldn't see innovation. We probably wouldn't see as much progress in fields like engineering and medicine and medical research. 
you would see us perhaps not learning the lessons from the past because we'd continue and met, perhaps make the same mistakes. Having those experts allows us to have deep thinking, more nuance, and also just that real focus on progressing in those key areas, which then those of us that work as generalists can have access to inform how we practice on a day-to-day basis. And now, Rob. If we did away with experts, I personally feel that the situation this leads to is much more negative than we possibly give credence to. The technologies that we're starting to see adopted at scale now, faster than ever before, pose huge, huge risks if we don't get the right level of expertise in place to challenge them and to put those safeguards in place. My fear is that if we fully automate everything, we lose control, we cede control to these technologies. And we don't have that ability to challenge it and put humans at the heart of the decision making. So we end up with this situation where decisions are made about us, without us. And personally, I don't think that's a good thing. We live in an increasingly uncertain world, one in which the pace of change can be unnerving and destabilising. Experts are central to helping us make sense of it all and ensuring any change enhances rather than diminishes human existence. Some might have had enough of experts, but the fact is... We need them now more than ever. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website. Hi there, Katie Jacobs here co-host of What If. If you're enjoying our podcast, I'd love to let you know about another one I think might be up your street. In the Responsible Business Leading the Way podcast, I and my co-host, Professor Veronica Hope-Haley from the University of Bristol Business School, explore the role of business in society and what responsible leadership looks like in a world that continues to lurch from crisis to crisis. To do so, we're joined by inspirational and insightful leaders from organisations including Microsoft, Tate & Lyle and the Bank of England. This limited series is produced by the University of Bristol Business School, working with the CIPD. To listen, just search Responsible Business Leading the Way wherever you get your podcasts.